back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast, and I'm not your host tonight. We'll get into that in a minute, but first let's thank our sponsors of the Trapping Today podcast, Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z, B-R-O-S.com. If you're looking to get started trapping and you need some equipment, you don't know where to start, why don't you check out Kyle and Kellen Cots' website, CotsBros.com. They get a great trapping supply company there. They've got just about everything you're going to need to get started from traps to baits and lures, books, DVDs to learn more about uh, different types of trapping you're looking to get into. So uh, check them out and I'm sure they are happy to uh, to talk with you and uh, thank you guys so much for those of you who are loyal listeners to the podcast who have supported Cots Bros. That means a lot and it goes a long way So so thanks to you. And you're going to hear more from Kyle tonight. You've heard a lot from him lately, and that's been a lot of fun. The podcast is also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. That's furharvesters.com. This is an auction house that's run for trappers by trappers, and they just had a big weekend this past weekend. Their uh, May auction has been completed. I don't know how they did it, but... They managed to get a, I believe it was a $24 average on beavers. So that's uh, nowhere near what we've seen in the past. And it uh, looks like Lynx averaged 150 There's some, some uh, pretty encouraging results from that auction. Of course, we're still in a tough fur market, so most items are going to be pretty low priced at the moment. But it, some encouraging things. I mean, they're they're doing a lot of work and trying to find uh, buyers. So uh, it's a well-run auction company, and I hope you'll give them a try for Harvesters.com or call them at 705-495-4688. If you ever have questions about how to handle fur, how to ship fur, you can give them a call. Check out the website. Mark Taylor, I th- we've had him on the podcast before. I think his email is mtaylor at... Uh, furharvesters.com um, but uh, anyway you can find him on the website and uh, he is is more than happy to answer your questions on all the various aspects he kind of seems to be the go-to guy when it comes to trapper relations for FHA <clears throat> we'll get into fur prices in either probably the next episode or two there's a lot to go over as I record this, the North American Fur Auctions sale is going on, so there's going to be a lot of fur price results to discuss and see where we're going to be at moving forward. But until then, I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. Let's get into it. Hello, welcome to the Trapping Today podcast. This is Kyle Kotz. I've hijacked the podcast today, and we're going to going to turn the tables, and, and I'm going to going to interview Jeremiah. So, are you all ready, Jeremiah? <laughs> I think I'm ready to go. <laughs> I guess I kind of I kind of thought of this idea. I, I thought it'd be a good way of letting people kind of get to know a little bit more behind the scenes of, of who you are and also kind of uh, the, the background of Trapping Today and the podcast also. Um, so, I guess with with that said, getting started, I think the uh, the, the all-important first question that anybody in the trapping industry asks in an interview is, how did you get interested in trapping? Well, we all have that story, don't we? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was one of those kids that did not grow up in a trapping family. 
Uh, we, we hunted and fished, uh, lived, grew up basically in the woods. Where, you know, where I grew up was, was quite rural by rural standards. It was a, an unorganized township uh, called Township 15 Range 6 with a population of about 12 people. And I was surrounded on three sides by, by timberland. So it was it was an awesome place to to grow up, and uh, especially for a kid that loved to be out in the woods and hunt and fish. But I always wanted to trap, and and I was always uh, kind of like you uh, did a lot of reading, uh, and got into the fur fishing game magazines, got into uh, a lot of the outdoor stuff, and and always was intrigued by the trapping side of things. I probably oh from the time I, I must have been about ten or twelve years old all the way up uh, through high school, I, I would always ask my dad about, I want to, I want to learn how to trap. How, how do I, how do we, how do you, can you teach me how to trap? And, you know, the only thing he knew about trapping is he'd, he'd gone beaver trapping with a friend uh, when he was younger and he had a uh, number two Victor double long spring hanging in the garage. And that was, I, I saw that trap all the time. And I always, every time I walked by the, the wall of the garage and saw that trap, I thought, man, I'd, I'd love to be a trapper thought that'd be so cool so yeah, that's very yeah, that, that's very similar to my own story and i think i think any kid that's interested in in hunting and fishing they just need that one trap hanging on the wall and of course it, it makes me feel a little old um there was no youtube there was no uh smartphone there the internet was just i think i was in fifth grade when we first started using the internet and computers at school so there, there was really nothing online available for to to get into trapping or to, or to learn. You had to learn from basically from someone who was around to teach you. And where we lived, yeah. there, there just weren't a lot of people around in general, and there weren't a lot of trappers. And I didn't know any yeah. personally. Yeah, well, I mean, my in my travels, I actually went through Ashland, Maine, and that area where where you live now and, and grew up. Like, I guess a lot of people don't don't necessarily a lot of people especially in the Midwest think of going out west being remote and from my experience the area of Maine is very much secluded and unless you're pursuing something in the outdoors fishing hunting trapping or you're looking to saw down trees there's really no reason for a person to be in that part of the world i mean it's or if you're a moose I yep. mean, it's just it's it's so so remote and isolated which i guess you know do you as you got into trapping um that could be both a positive and a negative i mean what what were some of the I mean, being secluded, it's obviously harder to access conventions and information in the pre-internet era, but also the advantage is there's a lot of public land and opportunity there. So what were some of the like, positives and negatives of, of, of kind of growing into being a trapper in that area? Well, uh, there, there were a lot. I think um, just when you, you got me thinking a little bit about growing up and, and it it kind of I learned over the years that uh, it it's really not so much where you are, but it's uh, what you make of the situation you're in. So I grew up with a lot of people that wanted to get the heck out of here as soon as possible, and they would leave high school and they would go go to some place uh, near a city, Portland, Maine, uh, Boston, 
in Connecticut. A lot of people went to Connecticut just to, to go and be around people and stuff to do. And, and I was just the exact opposite of that. And myself and a couple other friends were like, man, we live in the greatest place in the world. I never want to leave this place, you know, because there was just, uh, you know, millions of acres of private timberland that we all had access to. There was uh, all kinds of great resources and just uh, so much that you could, depending on your mindset and attitude, there's either so little to do or so much to do. So I kind of, I guess I yeah. chose to embrace that. Um, and the, the, yeah, I think you kind of laid out the challenges pretty good. There are, <laughs> th- th- it's a very small community. I mean, actually, as you know, as far as trappers are concerned, we do have a fair number of trappers. Uh, but you, you got to drive to get to a convention of any size. Everything's a long ways away. We're kind of way up in the corner, uh, surrounded by New Brunswick and Quebec, Canada. So uh, everything is a drive. Um, yeah. Well, I, and I, I, I joke, uh, we had mentioned J.P. Wilson in, in the last podcast, and I, I joke with him about uh, traveling in Canada in northern New York because the, uh, where you're at, and, and you're even that much further north, the conditions there is very much more a Canadian type of trap line than it would be a lower 48 trap line. Yeah, uh, imagine a Canadian as... trap line, but with the restrictions of uh, more of a, a Midwest or Northeast state. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, I, I guess. And, and and that's the one thing I found, too, is, is with, with the conditions, the remoteness, um, it... It, it makes uh, it extra challenging, especially with the 24-hour check, yeah, and especially when you know you, you're dealing with extreme snowfalls and uh, and weather changes for sure. Yeah, you absolutely have to be adaptable, and and your catch can can vary substantially from from year to year. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, before we get too far along, I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying to I'm taking over the podcast uh, <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> this is your show, but I, I I was thinking maybe I could talk a little more about how I got started trapping, uh, unless you are already... yeah yeah go for it okay uh-huh. uh, because we that's where I was kind kind of kind of going next so okay. yeah go for it so uh, I I mentioned that I always wanted to trap and and had no one around to to learn how to trap. And again, not a lot of people, not a, you know, big trapper association or anything. So I had kind of a fortunate event. I was uh, going to, I think I was a junior in high school. Um, It was the summer after junior year, I believe. And my dad, you know, I'd kept bugging him about trapping and he came, he, uh, he gone to town one day and he come back home and he, he said, you won't believe who I just met. Uh, he said, I met a trapper and he's going to teach you how to trap. <laughs> so uh, there was a guy and his name was Dona Sear. Uh, only guy I've ever met with a name D-O-N-A-T. <laughs> it's a, a French okay. name. Uh, but he yep. was, he grew up in, up here in Northern Maine and he was in the military and he left, uh, he was in the civil service and he had just finished up spending about a decade in Spain and he had come back. He was retired in his fifties, and he was uh, was really getting into trapping big time when he came back. And he moved next door to us. I, next door was a couple hundred yards down the road. Um, so so I went over, and I uh, uh, man, I was excited. I was I was so excited to go over and meet this guy, and and uh, and uh, we hit it off right away. You know you know how it is when you start talking to someone, and you're like, yeah, this is we're gonna get along pretty well. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so he took me. He took me out, and uh, the the first. I think it, I think he said it was a weekday, and I think he said he said come by on Saturday morning, and and uh, I'm going to take you out in the woods, and we're going to talk location. And so we started, and we'd spent uh, we spent days just riding around dirt roads, looking at set locations. Uh, he was he was kind of scouting his coyote trap line and he was he was making mock sets and pre-baiting and and doing a bunch of stuff to try to get uh figure out where he was going to set coyote traps um, so so i kind of that kind of started the learning curve and uh and moved on from there yeah it's it's kind of kind of nice it seems like almost every beginner trapper at some point they get their their big break comes in the form of meeting that person that can kind of kind of connect all the dots basically yeah yeah there was a there was a few fortunate events that took place around that that time you know he i didn't have any equipment uh he had tons and tons of equipment he didn't have anybody to talk trapping with so so (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was just a perfect opportunity and so so actually that uh that was sometime that summer and and come fall time uh I rode around with him a little bit and he got me set up to start uh, my first little trap line. You know, he gave me uh, traps and we got bait and, and put a bunch of stuff together to get me going. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. I mean, that, I think that's what really promotes trapping is having those people to kind of take a youngster under their wing. Um, so after that experience, like, tell me about what, what was the first animal you caught and what led up to that? My first animal was a marten, which is kind of unique. A, a lot of guys uh, usually yeah. it's a muskrat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I was just say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where I was at, marten was kind of the muskrat. We didn't, we didn't, it was a lot of hilly country, a lot of trees, not a whole lot of water, not a whole lot of swamp or river bottom land. Uh, so so uh, I set a line out and, and I was setting one, 110s and 120s, which you, you know, I learned later you should never be using one tens on on the Martin line, but <laughs> that's what we had. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in in at the time we didn't have all the restrictions we have now. So we we made a sets on the ground and basically I I just I I kind of I was always kind of independent. So I wanted to set my own my line up on my own. And uh, he sure. so we talked about you know how how to make sets. He showed me a few sets. Uh, one of the cool things he taught me, uh, we, we'd go run, we ran his, uh, his line for a little while and he set, he'd, he'd go to a location that he knew was a good location. He'd make three different types of sets for Martin and we'd go back and see what happened, you know, see if we caught something, where we caught the Martin in which set and why. So I kind of had a general idea of, of how, uh, how to go about things. And I just started going, I set, I think a dozen uh, sets on that first line. It was right next to the house. Uh, I of course tended them, um, every single day, uh, usually in the dark, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, I, I want to say that I caught, I want to say day one, I caught my first Martin, um, the, the first check. And it was, uh, probably the third or fourth set that I made. I was off of this uh, logging road and there'd been some timber harvest and there was, there was an area that was, a uh, kind of a cedar run there was a, a little stream that ran through and they there'd been a buffer area where they hadn't cut and I went in there a little ways 
and I saw a little, uh, a tree had kind of blown halfway over and there was the root ball and it was kind of forming a little bit of a den. There was just an entrance about the size of a martin. And I, mm-hmm. I tossed a chunk of meat inside of that thing and, and uh, I stuck the trap in front of it and, and the next day I come back and had a martin there. And that was, that was probably one of the great, one of the best feelings I'd ever had in my life to that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, then I think that, that first, that first success is, it leaves you hungry for more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so did you catch anything besides Martin in that first season? Um, I caught, let's see. I, I started late that season. There was, there was actually the big hang up was actually the trapper education course because mm. here, like most States, you had to have trapper ed in order to get a license. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, so we had been scrambling trying to find, I was calling around trying to find a, a trapper's course. And there was obviously without a lot of people around, there, there wasn't a course nearby being offered. So I, I finally, I got in touch with this guy uh, with the state. He was a education trapper, or he was a hunter ed uh, coordinator. And his name was Clifford Caldwell. I haven't seen him since, but I'm always, be, be forever grateful to this guy. So there's me, my best buddy who... You know, when I got into started talking trapping, he was really interested, and so he got he actually started trapping as well. And we had a, a friend that we went to school with whose dad was a trapper, and he had kind of a junior license. He was he was getting to the age where he had to have an adult license, and he needed to take the course. So there were three of us, and I I called this Clifford guy and I said, "Listen, that," and and I was like you on the phone as a, a youngster. You know, I was pretty nervous and shy, and I, didn't, <laughs> I wasn't real confident mm-hmm. in myself and. I said, yeah. I said, well, I really, we, we really want to trap and, and the season just started and, and there's no course available. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, uh, if you, if there's three of you guys that are going to show up, I'll come up there on a Sunday morning and we'll do the course in one day. And so mm-hmm. there were three of us and our dads, uh, that went there uh, to the town office and then nearby town and on a Sunday morning in this little, uh, meeting room. And we, we took the trapper course that day. Um, so, so that was, you know, before that I was riding along with Dona, kind of learning, uh, watching him make catches and stuff. And then, and then after I get that course, I was, it, it was game time. Um, yeah, yeah. so it was a bit of a late start. I caught, actually caught, uh, I think I caught nine Martin that first year. And, uh, I believe a couple of weasels. Um, and that was, that was it. I only, I ran about between 10 and 20 sets. Um, just close to home. Yeah, that's pretty pretty successful for for first year, and especially like for for me sitting here in Illinois and, and across most of the country. Um, you know, most of us, like you had mentioned, our first animal is a, a muskrat, and and then our second animal is probably a raccoon or a possum, and then you know we lead it into other things. And and martin and weasel is something that's really put up on a pedestal because they don't live here and it's something we just read about in books so to start out with catching martin is kind of like like talking to a a kid that starts out trapping in west texas or new mexico their first animal is probably going to be a coyote right (laughs) so kind of kind of uh i think that's definitely a challenge when you when you're starting out with a with a more uh what would i say a more renowned or or respected animal than than the lowly muskrat and raccoon (laughs) yeah and you know those first two years was probably my best success rate trapping martin it it definitely was (laughs) 
<laughs> it just went yeah. downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so from 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 there, that was you said you were. How old were you at that point? I you think were, I was seventeen years old. Okay, so so then was it the following season or or the the third season? Like when you got out of high school, did your trapping change any? Uh, yeah, kind of. So, so what happened was, I, I, uh, I graduated high school, and that, I, I think it was that. Yeah, it was that second year. Um, I was starting college in the fall, and I actually it was kind of funny. My my parents uh, bought a different house, and they moved, um, oh, about seven, six or eight miles away, and I kind of. I, I was going to college and I was kind of wanted to be on my own. And so I, I stayed in the old house, uh, the house that we'd grown up in. And so basically I kind of, Dona and his wife kind of uh, adopted me as a, uh, a kid down the road. They fed me supper every night and we, we just talked trapping every single night that fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was, uh, it was pretty cool, but uh, that was at that point I was so geared toward, this is what I, you know, I, I want to trap this, is what I want to do. And so I was going, I was going to school and, uh, just trap kind of before and after school. But that year, that fall uh, was when I kind of got in, into coyotes and, and I didn't run a very big line, but, uh, I was running, I, I caught five coyotes, uh, and, you know, various, several other critters, uh, that you catch incidentally, uh, on, on the fox and coyote line. Uh, but that was that was probably the the time at which I really got geared into trapping and thinking about trapping and just constantly talking trapping all the time. Yeah. So, so with with going to school, with going to college, um, I got talked to a lot of different trappers, and and you know I, I I know like a few different trappers like in the late '60s and '70s. Uh, they trap more as a means to pay for college than as something they enjoyed. And now, fast forward to when you're dealing with that, were there any additional new challenges with college versus high school <laughs> and and still kind of expanding the trap line? Yeah, it was, it was basically a uh, financial <laughs> and time management. Yeah. So I, I was kind uh-huh. of I, I was kind of stubborn. No, I want I wanted to be on my own. And so I was, I was paying for everything and, uh, I was paying, you know, I was driving, uh, 30, 40 minutes to school each way and, and trying to run a trap line at the same time and, and trying to buy traps and buy all the associated gear. When you start getting into coyotes, obviously there's, there's a lot more involved there, uh, keeping an old vehicle running. So, uh, so yeah, time, (laughs) time and money. That was, I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's kind of, kind of fast forward then as, as you get through what, what were, what, uh, what were, what was your degree in college? What were you studying? So that first year I took general courses, but I, at the time I really knew what I wanted to do. And I was like a lot of us guys that are into trapping, I kind of, I don't know. I, I always, I wanted to do something outdoors and, and sometime in high school, I, I was like, I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a career. And I think you, you probably have kind of the same viewpoint as I do based on what you do for a living that, uh, the way society is structured in, in the workforce operates, it's kind of, 
I think it's it's a little bit backwards in that a lot of people are miserable in their jobs and don't don't want to go to work every day, uh, and mm-hmm. and work so that they can you know have fun on the weekends and and uh, have have toys and have things uh, have nice things and and I kind of wanted to work things backwards. I I felt like you know if I could figure out a way where uh, you know I don't need to make a lot of money but I can do something that I love doing uh, and and actually get paid to do that. Uh, that that's I'm going to figure out how to do that if it's possible, and then I'm gonna I'm not going to stop until I have that uh, until I I achieve that. So I actually was out ice fishing one winter and I met a guy out on the lake. He was a fisheries biologist. He was he was out there measuring our fish and seeing you know what we caught and asking questions. And I thought, wow, that was immediately I thought, okay, I love fishing. I love being in the woods. This guy's getting paid to ride around on a snowmobile and talk to fishermen. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and, and it's kind of kind of that that saying that you know money can't buy happiness, but if you're happy in what you do, you will find great wealth. And uh, it sounds like like that was what what your goal was there. As soon as you met that guy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I did learn over over time that you know you still do need to have a certain amount of income to. <laughs> to survive um yeah but but yeah that so that was kind of geared towards that and and i was uh i don't know i was pretty determined i i decided i was going to spend a lot of time i hated school just always hated school just it was all through high school i i i couldn't wait to get done with school and and it the way it worked out i actually went straight from high school into college straight from college into graduate school and straight from grad school into my first job, so so I never really did yeah. have that break. Um, that yeah. I, I always I was so excited. I was working out in Idaho for some guys in fisheries, and I I was it was I was finally graduated from college, and I thought, man, uh, this is going to be the first year. Finally, I don't have to go back to school in the fall, and I'm going to go trapping. I'm going to go back to Northern Maine, and and uh, I, and somewhere about October, and I'm just going to trap all winter long. And uh, it just so happened I got into grad school that summer and uh, started in school in Utah in September. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that that kind of kind of changed the plans or, or did just postpone them. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 kind of it, it played into the whole idea that I I still haven't been able to to really do anything near what you've done on in trapping where you've just been able to get out and and really gone hard. Uh, focused on it and and run long lines and and learned a lot. Um, it it just means I've, I'm a little ways back in the learning process, I guess. Yeah, well, well, maybe it's just because you're smarter. Because when I was doing a lot of that stuff, I was very challenging to pay bills and and probably uh, uh, the, the experience is valuable now. But but sometimes it's not the best decision. Um, in the, in the, in the long term, <laughs> but, uh, so with, okay, you get, you get out of graduate school, um, and then, uh, you basically get the schooling behind you. I take it you, you mentioned Idaho, Utah, were you in any other places through the process there? Of Yeah. When I got done, uh, in Utah, when I finished, when I was wrapping up school, I got a job as a fisheries biologist for the state of Montana. So okay. I was in Montana. I actually ended up living there for close to five years before I moved back home. 
I see. Were you able to trap in Montana much? I did. Uh, I yeah. trapped. I trapped in Utah while I was going to school, uh, and, and and then I trapped in Montana. the The first couple of years I was there, I I did a, a fair little bit of trapping, and uh, the last few years, I actually I got so focused on big game hunting. I mean, the hunting opportunities there are, are so unbelievable, and uh, yeah, I just I I kind of got sidetracked on that. <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah, that would be easy to do. What what part of Montana were you in? I was in south central part of the state. Uh, basically, it it was actually really rural, similar to where I live now. Uh, yeah, kind of yeah. halfway between Billings and Bozeman, and it okay. was just north of the other side of the mountains from Yellowstone National Park. Yeah, so you got pretty much a. a, a it'd be easy to get distracted by big game in that area because yeah, you got pretty much everything in the lower forty eight resides yeah. within. It is accessible oh, there. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, and actually, uh, coincidentally, I, I learned later that uh, the the town next to where I lived was where Slim Peterson grew up. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh huh. It's funny that area. I, 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 of course, know Slim, and I, I've got another friend that from here that actually kind of a similar trajectory went to school, and then he actually lives in Echolaca now, and he, he, I've seen some pictures of the mule deer he's harvested there, and it's just. It's just a, a game-rich area as a whole. I think yeah. one, one one of them. Uh, there's a lot of those places in 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 the country, but that's that's one of them that uh, seems very consistent for many decades. Yeah, my actually my my wife's uh, best friend grew up in Ekalaka on a ranch. So that's, yeah, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. Everything goes back to there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so after Montana, then then you move back home. Um, did you have a job lined up? Um, what was the, or, or just home is where the heart is and you want to get back to that country? No, I, I wasn't, uh, I guess I wasn't enough, that much of a risk taker. Um, the, the difficult thing about working for a state agency in such a specialized job is that uh, if typically when someone gets one of these jobs, uh, the, the job that I have, uh, there are only, there are less than 25 in the entire state. And uh, when somebody gets one, they're there until they retire, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so there are very few openings. And uh, if you leave, you may not get a chance to come back. Uh, so, so I, I kind of waited, and the opportunity came came around. Uh, the job was open, and uh, I moved after finding out I got the job. Ah, uh, well, yeah, that, I guess a, a lot of. Uh, a lot of state type jobs it's definitely you kind of got to jump on it when that person retires or or you may be waiting another lifetime for it (laughs) exactly yeah and it's funny the guy that i had met out out on that lake ice fishing his retirement was what caused that opening so oh yeah it comes full circle but (laughs) yeah so so okay if we get we kind of get through that and and then um from that point you move back home how long was it from from the time you got back there to to starting the trapping today.com website I actually started trapping today when i was in utah oh okay okay yeah, in, so we're, in 2007 we're... i believe it was okay yeah and, okay. and i was kind of one of those things that i was uh i always enjoyed writing um living where i lived I, when i went to high school i actually you know i, I rode the school bus to to get to school it was uh around an hour and a half each way to school. Oh my. 
So I was the first person that got picked up on the bus in the morning and the last person off the bus in, in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time reading. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I'd go to school, and of course I hated school. Uh, I'd go to school with a book bag, and I'd have about six or eight Outdoor Life and Field and Stream magazines in there, and I'd have one or two big bigger books. And I'd just uh, I'd spend a lot of time uh, reading through those books uh, about hunting and fishing and trapping. And I, I, I really credit that to my kind of turning into a writer. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, I think, I think reading is in a lot of ways, the best way to become a good writer is to, 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 to read a lot, uh, a lot of material. Um, so I, I, I always, I kind of was, I, I guess I recognized that as a, a strength. And so when I was in, in college, uh, I took a couple of, uh, journalism, communication, journalism type courses, just because I, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe there's a possibility to do something with this at some point. Um, and I got into, uh, when I was in grad school, I was, uh, you know, a little bit of extra time here and there when I wasn't out, out in the woods or out fishing. Or, and I, I started doing a little bit of writing. And then I, I got into, uh, I, I guess I recognized that that was when, you know, the internet was becoming more of mainstream and there were a lot of resources uh, popping up. And I recognized that, hey, you know, you could actually, instead of, you know, being paid to write for a magazine, you could start something on your own and uh, you could, it could be something that you own, a blog or a website uh, that you have complete control over and you benefit from whatever it produces. Um, so I, I kind of, uh, I started a one that was, I started writing in, in the fisheries field and, uh, eventually a couple months after getting into that, I, I, I was trapping at the time in Utah. I was, it was, I lived kind of on, in this, uh, city in Northern Utah but I'd go outside of town before and after school and I'd trap muskrats in the ditches and coons and actually did a little bit of martin trapping up in the mountains there as well. Uh, so I, I was really getting back into the trapping. I had just enough free time that I could get back and, and do some trapping. And I, I felt the, I guess I felt the strong desire to kind of start writing uh, about my trapping experiences. And, and uh, that's how that trapping today started. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the, the, the journalism classes. That's something I was actually going to ask you about because I think when I, a couple of years ago, I just kind of tell the story of how I, how I came across you. Um, I, I was wanting to advertise our Cots Brothers site and, and, and focus more on, on web, on online advertising. And I had just Googled, uh, I think trapping forums or, or something to that nature, or, or trapping blogs, I can't even remember now, but uh, Trapping Today popped up. And, and I started looking at your site, and I noticed there was a bunch of posts that were very current as far as um, uh, some legislative issues, some uh, um, more isolated instances that were happening in different parts of the country. And the, the site, it caught my attention in that it wasn't just a, bunch of us trapping hillbillies talking about getting sprayed in the face by skunk it was it was it was very sound journalism 
And to me, that was something I was drawing to, drawn to in that, like, holy cow, there's a lot of information here that is reported in a way that's not, uh, not necessarily like a lot of other trapping media. Uh, it's, it's very focused and it's, it's, it's very good information. And that was something that, that I was going to ask you about, but obviously you have, you have a lot of, uh, experience, um, it, getting caught up on my words there a little bit you're you're a sound journalist and i think i think uh trapping just happens to be your interest you could probably do the same in whatever other field or interest you decided to pursue and that to me came across in the website real clear so that's what i was going to ask where did that come from like did you have some some extra journalism input along the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah i appreciate that that's real kind of you to, yeah. to say that and it, it was probably a combination of, of spending a lot of time reading articles and books and also uh, the, you know, the schooling, the, the journalism classes and the writing that was required. Uh, like, you know, I took a creative writing class. I took a journalism class. Uh, so that helped. And then and then in grad school, I, I had some really good advisors that that helped out a lot and got me straightened out to. Uh, to you know, learn just learn different ways of writing more effectively. So uh, it was mm-hmm. it was a combination of that. Yeah. So kind of kind of along along those lines, like a lot of the the reports and the stuff on trapping today. How do you go about finding all of that content? And and so much of it is very relevant. And I mean, it's it's uh, not only relevant, but you keep up on it very well. So what are some of the challenges? How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, I, tr- I try to keep up on it. I, I will say that that's one of the ch- challenges I do have is is providing regular updated content. But but my goal is, you know, have at least something, whether it's an article and or a podcast episode every week. And people who subscribe get a weekly update uh, with whatever's been published the previous week. Uh, so I, I try to keep up with that. Uh, it, it is... Uh, it is difficult as far as you know the time commitment sometimes, uh, but it's important to keep people engaged and, and interested and and know that you know you, and you, people understand that you know this thing isn't just one of those websites that's buried down uh, in the internet somewhere. Uh, I guess getting off track a little bit. One of the things that I probably I really should have done a lot earlier and and I never have really effectively done is is doing a better job of making it more personal and putting a face to the website uh, rather than just having you know words on a on a computer screen or or on your phone uh, it, just information you know uh, showing people that there is actually a person behind that. Um, but as far as how I get the the information, really simple uh, Google Alerts is is probably the most uh, uh, probably the biggest secret there and keeping up to date. Uh, I have Google Alerts set up for uh, trapping, trapper, uh, fur prices, fur market, that sort of thing. And it's an automatic update from Google whenever there's an, a news article that's published with the word trapping in it. I get an email. I get an email every day uh, for each keyword uh, with every article that's been published on the web with, with that keyword in it. Um, so I'll, I'll just get it every day. I'll pull through. I have two, three emails from Google Alerts. Uh, just kind of look through all the article, all the titles uh, with trapping. Most of them are irrelevant. Uh, about <laughs> between one and five percent of them are really relevant trapping news, uh, and 
and uh, that's how I keep up to date. I'll pull the article up, uh, I'll read it. If it looks like something worth uh, reporting about, then I'll, I'll put it up on Trapping Today. Um, I see. So there's there's a lot of time there in kind of sorting through some of what what the Google robots more or less pick up on. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And and uh, the other thing is just kind of working off of what what other people provide. Uh, uh, Trapper Man. There's a lot of people that will pick something up and they'll post it up on Trapper Man. Uh, I I do check that uh, every couple of days, uh, more often during the season. And then mm-hmm. uh, there's a guy that started a site, Trapper's Report, and that has, uh, I don't know, I'll have to check and make sure that's still updated, but but that was kind of like the Drudge Report version of uh, trapping, where he was posting everything, a bunch of different trapping-related articles. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no no sense in reinventing the wheel and, and trying to find all that stuff on your own. Um, sure, sure. I do wonder sometimes, well, yeah, got- though, th- th- those, those articles, it's good to keep up with the news, uh, but I, I always go back and forth between whether I should be uh, trying to uh, report or share trapping news or should I be thinking more deeply about uh, topics that we face as trappers uh, and kind of giving my viewpoint on things or, uh, or elaborating on certain aspects of, of trapping. Uh, so I go back and forth and, and uh, I never really have been able to figure that out, but the podcast has definitely helped in in getting being able to hash out thoughts that I, I I can't seem to work into good articles. Yeah, yeah that that would that would make sense. And I mean, I guess it, it, I could totally. I never really thought about that, but but trying to stay relevant basically by the day, you're always going to have the challenges there of 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 connecting with the audience on different issues, and and everybody's going to look at things different. I mean, some. Some trappers, as sad as it is, they they totally skip over any anything legislative, um, uh, especially like most recently New Mexico comes to mind. And there's a lot of trappers that are probably unaware of what the New Mexico Association or trappers there face. Yeah. And yet, by the same token, there's other trappers that that probably could care less about how to trapline stuff they're sitting there saying hey we got a big problem here we should be talking about <laughs> exactly so so it's yeah i mean there's definitely um the audience is going to be everybody's looking for something different and, and i i guess that maybe leads us into the podcast and that you can kind of easily talk about all of the you know talk talk to the different segments of the audience easier than you can write about it right so with that being said is that kind of what led you into the starting the podcast uh not necessarily but but i will say before getting into that that the the biggest thing that the podcast has taught me and the website is has kind of been teaching me that over time but it's taken a lot longer (laughs) the podcast did it a lot quicker it's taught me that instead of trying to figure out what this person wants what that person wants uh do what you want uh, do do you be yourself? Uh, what interests you as a trapper? What what interests you know? Talking to myself, what interests me? And w- when you do that, you will attract an audience that has uh, the same thoughts and ideas and viewpoints as you. Um, and so, uh, it, instead of trying to be everything for everyone, if you just be yourself, the the people who show up to the website 
comment, the people who email you, the people who listen to the podcast are, are really the people that you want there anyway. Yeah, that's that that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of reminds me uh, back in 2001 when I had taken over as editor of Trapper's World, Don Shoemaker, the previous editor, he, he told me at one point when when we kind of finalizing the deal, he said, you know, you're the editor and this magazine is yours. Make it how you want it. Yeah. And he said, listen to what people tell you. Listen to the staff writers. Listen to the readers. But ultimately, you're not going to please everybody. And there comes a point where some people you don't really need to have a part of it. He said, make it who you are. And then you're always going to – we went talked about being happy earlier and being you know, like controlling your own destiny. I think as long as you make the, re, the website a reflection of you – then it's always going to be going in the right direction and the audience is, is going to appreciate whatever that is that much more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the podcast, you want to get into how, how that got yeah, started? Yeah, how, so how did that come about? Um, I, I kind of hit, uh, uh, you know how the law of diminishing returns work uh, works. Um, you, you put in a certain amount of effort and you get, you get a result and it seems like you, you get to a point where you put more and more effort into a thing and you don't see uh, results that are consistent with the level of effort. Um, so, so I was doing is I, I, I get to a point where trapping today, uh, I was really happy with where things were. I was able to uh, work a few things around in, in my personal schedule where I, I had a little more time to devote to it. And I decided, okay, I'm going to hit this hard. I want to really grow this thing. And I, I started just pounding out a bunch of articles like every day uh, for every day or every two, three days for several months. I, I was putting something new up on Trapping Day. I was putting all kinds of time into it. And the results just weren't uh, necessarily consistent with that amount of effort. And so I get, I get a little bit, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to say discouraged with things, but but I thought, well, you know, maybe this maybe this isn't the direction that I need to to take. And and I was listening to a bunch of business stuff. You know, I'm always intrigued by by this whole idea of doing something you love and being able to have that help pay the bills as well. Um, you know, really, there's got to be some sort of uh, we're we're everybody that does anything in life, you have to have some sort of return on your investment or, or you're crazy to be doing it. Right. Um, yeah. Yep. So, so I thought about that a while and I, I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts and, uh, YouTube videos on, on business and on how to grow a business and, and all that. And, and really the big thing that over the last couple of years has come to the forefront has been people talking about how effective podcasting has been in uh, connecting with an audience. And uh, coincidentally, I was starting to listen to a bunch of different podcasts as well. Uh, and, and I understood how, how much, you know, how fast that, that whole market was growing and how, how much more effective it was uh, for, for you to communicate to an audience and for people to actually take in and absorb that information. Not everybody wants to read something on a screen. Uh, and passive consumption is a big thing today. You know, I got into the smartphone world a few years ago, uh, and I'm constantly working, constantly doing something, and I don't have time to sit down in front of a computer anymore. Um, 
I got my phone on me with the earbuds in, the headphones. Uh, basically, I'm working around the farm at home, uh, doing stuff at work. I'm constantly listening to something in the background to try and educate myself, sometimes entertain myself, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so podcasting just became more and more part of, of what I consumed as uh, just in my everyday life. So I started listening to uh, Clint Locklear's uh, Trapping Radio. Um, and I, I really, it was kind of a case where, I, you know, that was the only trapping podcast, I, I guess, podcast um, that was out there. And I, I kind of, the way that I reacted to what he was, Clint was putting out there was like, man, this is really cool. Why, why am I not communicating with people this way? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and at that point, I just kind of decided, all right, I, I really should do a podcast. And of course, the first thing was, I can't talk into a microphone. You know, you ever hear yourself, uh, you hear your hear a recording of yourself talking, and it sounds really weird at first. And I was like, man, I can't do this. I'm going to be so nervous. I sound like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> this isn't going to work. So I, I didn't do it for a while. And that everything kind of just built up and built up. And finally, I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to record something. Here goes. And I did it. And like a lot of things in life, I wish I had done it earlier. Um, but it, it's been uh, definitely the most rewarding thing that I've done so far in this whole Trapping Today uh, atmosphere uh, is the podcast. Yeah. So what, what were the challenges as far as like getting those first episodes recorded? I think uh, the big, well, at first that, you know, the, it's easy to get bogged down in the technology. Um, what do I use for a recorder? How do I, how do I do this? Do I have music in the podcast? Do I just, and that was the big thing that Clint's podcast kind of uh, was a good motivator. It was like, you just you could hear him hit the record on the microphone and hit the start and stop and, and mm-hmm. just go and just start talking. I'm like, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it that way? So I just bought yeah. a recorder and I started going. And, uh, so, so that, that part of it, I thought, okay, I was just weighing the, the positive and negative aspects of this. And if I sit here and wait until everything's perfect, I'm not going to actually do it. If I just right. yeah. settle with the fact that it's not going to be perfect, um, it's, it's going to have, it's going to be rough around the edges, but I'm going to get it out there. So, so I just kind of finally convinced myself, just get something out there. Um, so I did. And the big challenge was the first time I listened to myself. Uh, I think I counted the number of uhs and ums, uh, in the hundreds. Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh I, I was so frustrated with listening to myself and I just, every single episode I was thinking of I re-listened and it sounds kind of narcissistic I guess but I I was re-listening to myself and thinking wow I said that way too many times man I sound like an idiot and I try (laughs) next episode I try to reduce that and lower the number of things that I screwed up on and eventually I, I feel like I'm I'm not probably not even halfway where I need to be but I'm way ahead of if you listen to the first few episodes I I'm almost embarrassed to to go back and yeah. tell people to listen to them. I think that's the case in any, in any of like creative media. Like for me personally, my first DVD is definitely my worst one. My first book is definitely my worst one. And, and both content and the layout, uh, the production, 
it's just something that, I, like you say, sometimes you just got to jump into it, and and as you go, you get so much better at it. And and the same with like my wife has a communications degree, and she taught speech at the college level, and and I know we I, I've had a conversation with her too that it's normal to to say ah and stammer and stammer through things, and ultimately if you get hung up on that, you'll never. <laughs> You'll never move past it, so you just kind of work through that, and then, then all at once, it's like here you are, nearly eighty episodes, and it's pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. The, the really the big shocker for me with the podcast has been how people have reacted to it. So the mm-hmm. the, the website trapping today on a good, you know, like during the season, the last couple of years, like in November, where I've got more than 90,000 page views or close to 100,000 page views on the website of and I know we've, we discussed this in the last episode 100,000 page views and you get eh, a few comments here and there uh, you know kind of just whatever you know this is yeah that's a good job uh, well whatever I think this is. the podcast is is really connecting with people the, the <laughs> feedback has been incredible the people that have emailed to let me know that you know to thank me and and to mention how they benefited from it what they've learned got them motivated to get out trapping that's really been a big deal and you know i used to always think well people everybody says oh i'm doing i'm just doing this to help people because i like to help people and i always thought that was a bunch of garbage uh nobody just wants to help people Uh, but it is it is a pretty rewarding thing and uh it when you get that level of feedback it it really makes it where you know it it really it's it's a way above and beyond whatever financial benefit the podcast has yeah yeah i could i could definitely see that and yeah we we mentioned that and and it's it's kind of interesting too because uh maybe it's such a uh, such a thing as to you know just technology changing and, and i realize the trapping industry is probably behind a lot of societal changes with with how we use the internet podcasts as a whole and just technological advances but it does seem that a lot of trappers that are caught up on the on on technology you know for them to read your posts while they're driving to work is not most places it's against the law (laughs) exactly Um, but it's not convenient (laughs) but it's totally accessible to turn on a podcast and listen to it and it's I, I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, like podcasts is probably taking over what traditional radio used to be in that, you know, we all, we all have thoughts in our head and, you know, we might be in a stage where we're thinking about trapping. So we want to listen to something trapping. We don't want to turn on to the radio and just listen to songs. Listen to what somebody else mood. decides that you should listen to at that time. Yeah. And, right. and, and so, I mean, the, the convenience factor, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's part of it, that it, uh, the audience is more receptive to, to podcasting because it's more convenient for them to get what they want oh, uh, at a time, at a time in their day when they, when they have that void to fill, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of feedback from people. Uh, mostly it's in the car when they listen a lot of people, depending on where they work, there's people that listen while they're working and say it helps them get through the day at work. So uh, it's just a, it, it is, it is all about society's changing. The way people consume content is changing. 
I think the, the whole underlying thing, though, still remains that it, whatever you produce, it has to be good. And mm-hmm. people, people will not listen. I've had three or four people that have contacted me about starting, wanting to start their own podcast and asked me, you know, what I thought. And of course, the first thing I say is, well, what do you have? Do you have something to talk about? Do you have, what do you have to tell people? And then, uh, you, you need to be yourself. Um, there are people who have, you know, have been trapping for a year and want to start a podcast to show people how to trap. Well, you can't, you can't educate the, the large masses of trappers when you've been trapping for a year. But what you can do is be yourself and talk about your journey as a young trapper who's learning. And every time you learn something, share that with, with people and recognize that uh, this is just part of a big process. And there's going to be a, a certain segment of the audience that's going to connect with that. But regardless of what you do, it has to be high quality information. It has to be useful to someone because no one's just going to say, oh, trapping, and then listen for 80 episodes and and stick with it if it's not that good. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and I think, you know, re, like you said, regardless of somebody's experience level or knowledge base, um, you have to have a starting point. And I know when I first started in this business, I was 15 years old. I, I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the knowledge, but all I had was desire, basically. Right. Um, and so sometimes you start with that desire, and, and if you work on the technical aspects of that, the success, knowledge, experience, all, all comes with it. And and I think that's a, a, a challenge uh, that, you know, what, whatever pursuit there is, you know, we're talking about, uh, college and managing things and and there's always those those challenges and sometimes it's just you got to put the desire first and and like you said be yourself and and then you know here, here you are on the other end all of a sudden and, and time goes real fast it seems like um so with that being said with time going real fast now now we're you're fast approaching 80 podcasts you know from from episode one to now what are some of the biggest things you've learned in, in this podcast journey? Oh, what have I learned? I've learned that, uh, getting, getting the, into that creative flow of thoughts and ideas, uh, can really, you can really come up with some things that you didn't really know that you, you know, there's a lot of things that we, that we know that we don't necessarily know that we know. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I I initially I'm just predisposed to probably part of my personality, the way I was raised, whatever that uh, I tend to be. Uh, I tend to lack quite a bit of self-esteem, but I probably have I have a lot of self-confidence. I know that I'm a, a capable of doing things, but at the same time, I don't consider, for instance, I don't consider myself a good trapper. I don't consider myself among most of the guys that we know of in the trapping industry, not even close. And, and that's, I think that's, that's accurate assessment. That's not just my attitude. That's, I'm not even close, but when, you know, you get some emails, uh, you answer like answering listener questions on the podcast. There's a lot of things that people don't know about in, in terms of trapping, trapping methods, all different aspects of trapping and fur handling that I know that I don't recognize that there are a lot of people listening that don't 
don't know this. So, so it really was a big eye-opener, the, the level of feedback from people. Uh, thanks for helping out with this. Well, what do you think about this? Uh, what can you tell me about tumbling fur? What should I use for, what size flushing board should I use? Uh, are, what furs are, are stretched uh, fur in, uh, hair in versus hair out? It, just all kinds of things. Is like, man, I, I guess there's a lot of stuff that I know that people starting out trapping don't know. And uh, going through this process has really helped me to recognize that and to hopefully be a little more effective at teaching people some things. And, and really, I'd, I've never intended this to be uh, an educational podcast, but a, but a lot of people apparently have gained uh, information that they've considered pretty pretty useful as far as just learning, learning trapping. I just kind of rattle things off that are going on in my head. Uh, I've been getting more into interviewing uh, different people and trying to learn from them. But to me, it's like, this is uh, more entertainment for me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess there's, again, we talked about like balance and stuff and, and, you know, some, a lot of interview type articles is, uh, are, are, are interview type podcasts are are more and end up being more entertaining than necessarily uh teaching or how to but you've kind of got a balance of, of a lot of both of them and and some good analysis on i, I listened to a few after the the uh, various fur auctions and just kind of kind of market reports which it's like we talked before it seems like any anything talking about fur prices or the market or the auctions um the audience no matter what what fraction or, or what segment of the audience it is, everybody comes back to that. Yeah, topic. it's a big That's hit all the point. time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the one was there any 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 other any other stories or anything about the podcast? I, I was got one other question, but it's probably going to take us a little bit away from the podcast. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so with the podcast. I think uh, a couple of thoughts would be. Uh, I just that that level of connection with the audience has been a big deal. The uh, the fact that we're playing more of a long term game game with the podcast, I feel like I'm kind of getting better, improving, developing sort of a a resource there. But it's very very slow and a very long process, and I recognize that. It doesn't, you don't go to, you know, thousands of, of downloads uh, every episode overnight. It's, it's going to take years. And when I, if I would have started and, and if you would have told me that, you know, you're going to be a year in and here's where you're going to be, I would have said, well, I'm not going to do that. That's a lot of time invested for, for that. And, and of course, I have you to, uh, Kyle, to, uh, to thank for kind of helping motivate me because you're, <laughs> kind of convinced me to to advert to have you guys advertise on the podcast. And I thought I'm gonna, I'm not going to start advertising until I get to X number of downloads. And you said, well, why not just start right now? <laughs> so, yeah, well, and yeah, that's I, that's what was my, my my point is is you know the that's something I, I I saw too. And I mean, I had selfish motivations when I initiated our conversation because naturally I wanted to promote my business, but I also I've also I guess I always tried to work with people and it's got to be something that benefits both of us. And I kind of felt like at that point I was looking at your website and it's like, 
you got to make some money at some point. <laughs> you got to have a little income from this. <laughs> so, so that's why I was kind of kind of felt like you know, hey, we you know don't don't wait, just just take the money and and we'll 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 move ahead. And and as it grows, you know, naturally, just no different than advertising in the magazines. Um, I can re you know, look at, look at different magazines that have started in the time that I've been in business and, and the two that have started, uh, were Trapper's World and, and Trapper's Post and naturally both started at ground zero. And as you build, um, you get a bigger audience and naturally the advertising is worth more and it's beneficial to, to, to both of us essentially. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> I guess from our standpoint, that's what we've talked before too, uh, especially with the podcast. And Kellen and I have said, you know, Kellen has told me that recently too. He's like, I get a lot of comments and order orders that say, "Hey, I, I saw you guys on on trapping today," and so that tells me that you know the the way trappers get their information is definitely changing, and I kind of like it. I mean, in a sense, it's 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 easier to keep information relevant when right. you're doing a weekly podcast versus, I mean, I can remember standing at the mailbox waiting for magazines to come <laughs> that once a month and, and society just won't accept that anymore. We need stuff right now because we don't have that time to wait anymore for right. anything. we got to have it now. Um, so it's, it's definitely that that presents its own challenges. But, um, so my, my last question, I, I, not necessarily my last question. I'm sure I'll have a follow-up or two, but I, when I was editing Trapper's World, I've always, I think in my time when, when I was editing, doing interview articles, and like I told you, like doing this interview with you on a podcast, it's always been, for me personally, I've always liked interviews more than I've liked sitting down writing an article about catching a muskrat or digging a dirt right. hole set. I've always been more interested in the people than I have been in in the uh, the how-to. And I heard one time, I don't remember where I heard it now, but it was an interview on TV or something. And I can't, I, I'd, I'm drawing a blank as to where I heard it, but I've always asked this in any interview I've done in some variation. Um, well, there, it's actually, there's two questions. The first one would be, what would you say to the 17-year-old Jeremiah? What advice would you give that person? Uh, 17-year-old Jeremiah, this is a long, slow process. It looks like it's going to take forever, and it feels like it. But this is interesting you say that because I'm 35 right now. And <laughs> when you're 35, you're going to feel like you're just getting started. So be patient, um, but work hard. Work hard because it'll, yeah. it'll pay off. Harder. Work it's, harder than you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, I don't know about for you, but for me, it does seem like like to be that 17-year-old kid, it's not that far, far in the past when you look at the changes in the world that have happened since then. But... Uh, sometimes it just feels like such a long time ago uh, in the same breath. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of to, to look back and see the accomplishments. Then and, the and second you, you change so much you change over, yeah. over the years. I've, I've changed so drastically in the past 
15, 20 years mm-hmm. that I never could have fathomed the way, you know, all the things in my mind. And, and there's a lot of hard times, but you forget about those. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the the struggle is when you're younger, you you know, you go through p- really low periods and, it, oh, life sucks and I don't know what I'm going to do. And, no, you, you get through that and you're going to forget about that, but you're going to remember some of the, a lot of the good times. You're going to have a lot of good memories. Um, and overall, it, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. Well, it does it, and maybe for me, I, I look at it and, and going through some of that stuff, then you get to a certain point and it's like you become more settled or more secure because, because of the, uh, some of those, what am I going to do moments that happened early on in life. Yeah. Um, my, my second kind of ending question is kind of along the same lines, but a, a different perspective. If you had all the trappers in, in the country sitting before you, what do you tell them? I don't know what I would tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Cox Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Yeah. Kyle, this is going to cost you a little bit of money. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, um, that that is an excellent question, and I have not given that a second of thought. Um, yeah, I didn't warn you about that one because that's the one you'd spend too much time thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be aware, be aware of yourself. Be aware of what what you present as a trapper to the general public. Um, be aware of how you communicate with other people. Uh, recognize that every time that you you are a trapper, you represent to a lot of members of the public uh, all trappers in in North America. So uh, with trapping, there's a lot of responsibility. I know it's very frustrating for us because in a lot of cases, we as trappers have lost a lot of a lot of things that I did when I started trapping 15 years ago are illegal now. Uh, because of mis- you know various lawsuits from anti-trapping groups, uh, the public is getting further and further away from uh, growing up on the farm and understanding wildlife management, and uh, that is that is going to be a challenge. I think in the past, uh, probably in starting in some time in the 1990s, you had more of an activist animal rights movement. Um, it seems to me that as general society, that that is kind of becoming a little bit less, having less of an effect on general society as it did back in that time. Uh, and the reason for that is not a good one. I don't think it's because people are having a better understanding of wildlife management. I think it's because the public is, is becoming more apathetic when it comes to wildlife, uh, meaning they, the general public just doesn't interact with wildlife and doesn't really care you know, about what happens uh, uh, in a, you know, population of coyotes and deer, for instance. So, so the, the, we're, we're battling, what we're battling is uh, not necessarily, uh, although this is a challenge of, you know, trapper being considered the bad guy. Uh, the biggest hurdle that I think we face as trappers is nobody knows what a trapper is anymore in, in a lot of cases. Um, so I would say, uh, just recognize that, recognize that uh, whether you like it or not, um, anybody who sees you trapping or, or knows that anything about you being a trapper, 
you are representing trappers a, as a whole. So, so think about that and consider it. Um, and then, you know, don't be afraid to, to share trapping with other people. Uh, our, again, our biggest competition now is, uh, is society as a whole and trapping, you know, becoming uh, less and less relevant in society. So, um, yeah, sure, there's potential for competition from other trappers if you, you introduce people to trapping, but, but that's really, really minor. we got to think big picture. Um, overall, the more people that are involved in trapping and spreading the word about trapping, it, it's a huge plus. Yeah, that's that's pretty sound advice. I, I I've asked that question a few times, but I think you probably answered it about the best I've ever heard. <laughs> what uh, do? You, what's your answer? Have you been asked that before? Um, I have different times, and I, I my my answer is never maybe as well said as what you just said, but I've always thought it. I, I'd say I second what you just said. Um, the first time I, I answered, I asked that, um, not long after I'd taken over Trapper's World, Dave Solomon was the president of the NTA, and I had asked him that question. And I can't remember exactly what he, how he worded it, but generally speaking, most people come back to, to some similar response to what you have just said but not ordered the same um i remember dave kind of put more of an emphasis on belonging to the associations but i think ultimately i know i i've i can't remember who else i asked that question to but i mean i think that's that's the key and that's something i mean we could talk a whole nother two hours just about um the the societal uh the the way that the public and society views trapping and the fact that like so many things have happened that that have put trapping in the public eye in a positive light yet still most people are too busy to really care about managing wildlife or fisheries or or like here where i live in the in the along the mississippi river there's a lot of concerning things going on in the environment as far as uh, flooding and you know, I don't know if it's global warming or or what is causing it, but but habitat changes, erosion issues, um, just the water table as a whole. These changes that you know are they are they the biggest things facing society? No, but are they important? Yeah, they probably are because you know even if you are in a Manhattan office building you still need to eat and you still need to drink. And a lot of that, a lot of our sustenance comes back to wildlife management and, and, you know, trappers are a big part of that because uh, trappers are kind of like the, the protectors of, of sheep, cattle, uh, croplands, um, that comes back on trapping a lot of times. So it is, it is very vital and very important. And, you know, having, having that connection with the public, um, you know, I think, like you said, as a trapper, when we meet somebody, we can't be ashamed to be a trapper. We don't need to keep it a secret. And a lot of times meeting that person, they have never met a trapper before and may never meet a trapper. So you want to make sure you give them an impression so that when the word trapping is mentioned, they think, oh, yeah, I met that, exactly. that guy or I met that lady and they were nice. The chapters weren't bad. That 
that lady was real friendly or that guy he was a good dude yeah we want that image and so so that's i think that's the uh the kind of the i've never been one to say we need to save trapping trapping doesn't need to be saved right i don't think i don't think that's the right uh, uh the right mentality to have it's it's not something we're saving it's just something that that and we're not necessarily promoting it but it's something we need to be an advocate for and i i think you know that's exactly what what your answer was and 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 uh it's it's kind of fascinating like i said we could talk for another hour just about that and and uh you know yeah i I think the big thing is to just to be aware of of yourself and how you're representing yourself uh as Mm -hmm. a trapper because I just think back to when I was a, when I was a young guy, when I was a teenager, when I was in college. You know, I think back to the some of the things that I did and the way I acted, and I realized that I, you know, a lot a lot of uh, a lot of it was just not recognizing how people view you. You know, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. we say, "Oh yeah, I'm proud to be a trapper." You know, don't be ashamed to be a trapper, but don't be like blatantly, you know. Um, blah blah blah. This is my right, and you can't tell me what to do, because that doesn't work either. And and if you You're make right. yourself out yep. to look like a jackass, uh, people <laughs> nowadays, what what seems to be happening is it's less about what people hear, uh, information that they hear, and it's more about how you make them feel. Everybody's mm-hmm. you know everybody has their own truth and what you know how they feel about something, and it's really important because if I have an interaction with someone that doesn't know trapping. They're not going to remember if I try to teach them, you tell them, okay, this is what we're doing. This is why we trap here, here, bang, 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 give them a bunch of statistics. They're not going to remember that. What they're going to remember is how did this guy treat me? What was my interaction? Did I get a good feeling from that guy or did I get a bad feeling? And, and I think it, a lot of times we just can't force this thing. Just recognize how you're interacting with people and, uh, and just make it a good thing for trapping as a whole. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense, and I mean, I I don't know of a better way of pr- promoting trapping than by doing that. I, I can't think of one. Yeah, and we hey, we have all kinds of tools now. Uh, the internet, uh, mm-hmm. uh, those guys, you know, guys out on Instagram posting photos and Facebook. Uh, again, be aware of that because you have the ability to really uh, promote trapping in a positive way, uh, or maybe make some mistakes that that uh, cause people uh, to have some heartburn about trapping. Um, and also, just another quick thing, the, the, the crazy people that give you all kinds of wild comments about how evil you are and you're going to burn in hell because you're a trapper and this and that and you love torturing animals, just, just ignore it. Don't even resp- I, I don't respond to them. You know, I know some people do, but uh, th- those, those are, are a small vocal minority of the public. And uh, yeah. you know, don't, don't let it get to you. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. And, and that's just it. You can't... Um... Just like uh, most hardcore trappers would never be converted to be anti-trappers, people that are are sending those kinds of crazy comments, it's, they're not being reasonable. Um, so you can't really even engage in a conversation there. But most of the general public is is you know you probably have in the country you know that there's just a very very small percentage of people that are actually trappers and there's a very very small percentage that are anti-trappers and then the bulk of the majority of the public uh they don't even think about it on a daily basis and and those those people for the most part are reasonable people and 
like you say, you got to promote an image that gives them a positive feeling uh, when they think of that word uh, at, in the event they do think of it. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I like I said in all the other podcasts, I could we could keep going for hours and hours <laughs> on some of this stuff, but but I think I'll turn it. I'll uh, step away from my hijacking and turn it back over to you if there's anything else. Uh, no, that had, that's but. it. I think you did a great job. I I appreciate it. Um, it, it that was, this was a lot of fun. This was definitely a lot. Yeah, of fun. yeah. I, I like we talked before. I I definitely have enjoyed it a lot. I I don't. Uh, you know, when we initially talked, I didn't plan on, on, on being a guest for what's it been. This is the fourth, fourth one, but it's just, once you get to talking, it's just, there's so much there. And I, I definitely appreciate you having me and, and uh, down the road, uh, maybe, maybe we can talk again. He, that reminds me of one other, let's, I got to re-hijack for a minute. Okay. Gotcha. Me one other Go question on the podcast is move, moving ahead. Like I listen to different podcasts where they have people like call in with questions. Uh-huh. Is that something you've ever thought about doing or is that a little more complicated? It, it could, it could be a little more complicated, but it's definitely, I'm definitely open to it. Actually, uh, a few days ago, um, I, I had a, I called a guy that had some questions about getting started trapping and that's going to be, um, uh, Brandon from Wisconsin. We had like a, I don't know, 40 minute conversation and he just kind of, you know, never trapped before. He's been listening to the podcast and he had a bunch of miscellaneous questions and we just rattled when he went through all his questions and we just, uh, I, I told him what I knew and, uh, what I didn't know. And, and we, we went over that and, and, uh, I thought it went, I, I was like, okay, well, I'll hit, hit the recorder. And I told him if this, you know, it turns out like it's, if it turns out good and it's something that people are going to benefit from, we'll put it on a podcast episode and uh or if not hey we'll delete it and at least we had a good conversation and it went really mm-hmm. well so that's going to be uh in, in an upcoming episode and de- absolutely cool. uh, i i am uh, i'm definitely considering doing some more call and i think it's good to have interaction with people like that yeah yeah i mean i guess it may be scheduling wise you know i mean if you're going to have people calling and ask questions you probably got to got to schedule it out so that you kind of have a live forum there which maybe yeah. would present its new challenges but but it definitely uh, uh i'll look forward to that. i've i've gone back since we've been talking in my spare time i've definitely gone back and, and kind of caught up on on listening to some of the other ones so i'll definitely look forward to that it's be something different for sure yeah, there's, you know, we all know there's a few big names in trapping that we all know, but there's a lot of people out there that we've never heard of that have a lot to share, a lot of, a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. experiences. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I've, been, yeah. I've been excited talking to several of those guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, like I mentioned in, in last week's, you know, like I went back and listened to, to the Jim Furman one and, and Ron Jones, and Ron Jones is somebody I don't I don't know Ron, but I, I know the name and, and yep. I, I have had conversations with him. But but there's a lot of knowledge from from guys like that that have a ton of experience and don't necessarily write a ton of books or make DVDs, but the knowledge is still there. And I mean, you definitely do a good job of, of getting that knowledge out for sure. Yeah, that that's a the, one of the big challenges is just being able to. Shut your mouth and let someone go. Let them talk <laughs> and <laughs> not, <Yeah. laughs> not interrupt and and uh, try to try to ask the right questions to uh, to get them in the direction. 
in in a certain direction that's going to uh, to to kind of uh, be useful for for the audience and and usually you know guys like that you just you just let them go because they got a lot to share <laughs> and uh, and I could only screw things up by by trying to interrupt and and change their their train of thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess uh, with that being said, I we kind of covered all the, the all the notes I had for for asking you questions, and like I said, I've really enjoyed being part of it these past few weeks. All right, well, thanks, Kyle. That was awesome. Obviously, you're welcome on the podcast anytime. Um, <laughs> all right, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe right. here here in a few weeks we get through into the summer and and get uh, we just had the fur harvester sale and then the NASA sale and. I'd be interested in, in maybe we could talk a little bit more about the, the fur prices once we kind of kind of get to a point where there's a little more to talk about. Absolutely. That sounds great. That sounds like a good topic. Sure. Haven't gone over fur prices yep. <laughs> in quite a little while, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Are we going to wrap it up? Yep. Sounds good. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, Kyle. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you again soon. Sounds good. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to that episode and listening all the way through. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed that. I had a lot of fun. It got me thinking about a lot of different aspects of myself as a trapper and the places I've been, things I've done, and moving forward as trappers, some of the things that for us to focus on. So uh, I would appreciate any feedback from you if you, uh, if you enjoyed that. Uh, give me, send me an email, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D. W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Also, if you haven't already, check out my book, Fur Profit, A Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. Find that at Amazon, at Cotsbros, at uh, various supply trapping supply companies. Check it out, and thanks again. We will catch you on the next episode.